Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join three self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Hey guys, it's your homegirls here. We are here today with the amazing Janine Sasso out of Chicagoland. I have um, been following her for about a year now. Anybody who's listened to the show knows that um, I do a lot of farming in my neighborhood. And so that's really what Janine's kind of um, passion is, is teaching people how to farm their neighborhoods. Um, she runs an awesome coaching program, um, Facebook group called the Hyperlocal Real Estate Agent that I follow and watch her trainings constantly. Um, so Janine, tell us Absolutely. a little bit about yourself, your background and all the things. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I think you guys are actually podcast number one for me this year. And it's like, you know, crazy market. All of us are just trying to find time. But um, yeah, so actually became an agent um, based on the recommendation of family members. Um, I majored in early childhood education and realized that I really couldn't make much of a living there. So I got my real estate license. And one of the first things that I gravitated towards was a geographic farm. Um, and that was really, really early on, like year one, because I went to licensing class. I sat down with a managing broker and he said, okay, how are you going to market yourself? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean I have to market myself? I didn't realize this was not like an, you know, a hand-fed business when I got my license. So I don't know. I must have missed that memo. But um, I took to a geographic farm and um, have grown my business on that one to a very healthy business um, that continues to grow year over year over year. And actually this year is the first year where we're branching out into a second farm, replicating exactly the same system I used in farm number one. So really excited on this. That's awesome. So you have kids, right? I do, which is like I was in the middle of lunch pickup and you know all the craziness happening. Um, was mom life. So I was a couple of minutes late. Whoops. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. Um, talk, obviously deal with a lot of moms who are in real estate and who are running high level businesses, but also want to, you know, condense their time that we're spending on things. Right. And so that was part of the reason I started farming. So I think what I would love to do today is have you kind of teach everybody what your top three ways to really fire up your farm would be. And what would that look like? And, and give us some examples of how we can do that. All right. So the first thing is, I guess, yes, this mom, you know, this mom schedule is really something that I heavily lean on because I found that most people out there, most people teaching or most, you know, coaches, teaching agents, it's always like time block. And I have maybe a 20 minute uninterrupted time frame before somebody says, mom, I'm hungry, or mom, I need help, or mom, I need this, or mom, I need that. It's just, it's a never ending mom thing. And it's, it's great. It's like, you know, I love having my kids um, home, which is why I choose to be with them as much as I am. And it's just one of those things where I wanted to make sure that I can put things in place, especially with farming, um, that doesn't like, 
exclude them. So when it comes to firing up your farm, my first thing would probably be don't be intimidated to have your kids along for the ride. So you, your kids do not need to be 18 years old, off to college, self-sufficient in order for you to make this business work for you. And I know we are all terrified. And I think honestly, this whole pandemic has helped us a little bit to normalize our businesses as like kids in tow, especially this market. I meet buyer clients right now and I'm just flat out telling them, I'm like, listen, I'm like a mom. I have a toddler. I have an eight-year-old that's e-learning. And if a house pops up, and I cannot find somebody to show it to you right away. You will meet my children because I will not let a house slip past you because of my schedule. And all of them, I mean, literally all of them are going to be like, yeah, we got kids. We're good. Um, you know, not a problem. I mean, ideal, maybe not. However, real life, a hundred percent. So the first thing with farming is like your kids are part of, of you as, you know, an agent in so many instances they are not like a separate thing they make you who you are your personality everything that I pour into it in my business is many times based on my mom's skills you know juggling schedules making sure everybody is on time for practice making sure everything is is good there's clean clothes there's all of this all of those organizational skills transfer right into my real estate business and this is where like every mom just needs to like look at their mom level skills and be like oh my gosh I can take this and I can apply it into farming. So first thing I always tell people is like, do not eliminate your kids because you're trying to grow your business. I know it's hard, but it's probably the best thing you can do to also be more relatable. Like sellers and buyers want to relate to you. They don't want that robot in front of them. So that's probably tip number one um, on the geographic farm. I mean, my kids come along, we'll have like events in the um, community and people know my kids are there. I mean, that is part of community. Community does not work if the kids are not in it. So it, it really integrates really well with this strategy to start off. With. So I always joke and say that my kids are getting older and I'm going to have to adopt a baby um, to keep my business moving forward. Um, I've always utilized like the neighborhood schools for my farming and to get my name out there and to um, you know, really be a part of the community like you're talking about. So give us some examples of some things that you've done with your kids personally that have helped get your name recognition out there in your farm and with your brand. So when it comes to the school part, I do not um, use that as heavily because I have another agent that I personally highly respect and I kind of leave that part up to her um, being more in like the PTA stuff. However, when it comes to, you know, like how have I utilized my kids? I mean, it's just I've used them in marketing videos. Yes, I'm one of those people that have no problem using them in marketing in a very classy kind of way, not you know anything crazy. But um, I've had my, my three-year-old on there and he was playing with Play-Doh and I taught him this little sentence to say and it turned out to be like the most amazing marketing thing where it was like, what's your name? And he's like, Mason Sasso with Coldwell Banker and my mom sells houses and people like loved it they were like oh my gosh this is like the most adorable thing and it was just very relatable um when it comes to it and then we also do things like you know park week i mean if we look at a community of what parks are there it's one thing to tell them hey there's a swing hey there's this why not have your own kids in it and be like hey we just went to the park we just explored it and it makes it again more relatable so they are actually part of 
of me. I mean, I explore the parks, I use the parks in the in the area. Why not just simply, you know, report back on it? So I always do like the boys always go with me to like put out the flags for the Fourth of July, and the kids are the ones I pay all the kids to deliver like, you know, our football schedules and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's how I use my kids, and then I get the other kids of the neighborhood involved, and they're like oh, Miss Jessica is paying money today for us to go hang flyers and they all want to come help. So, I mean, that's another way to build community, I think, is like, use your neighbor's kids too. Like, they'll be thankful. You're teaching them work ethic. Right. I mean, my, mine are eight and two, so a little bit young for, for that. I do have them sometimes, like, you know, my eight-year-old stuff, a mailer, it's not his favorite thing to do. Um, but that's the plan. The plan is to grow them eventually into small mini entrepreneurs that understand a little bit of effort can really, really go a long, long way. So every time I see somebody with, you know, older kids, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds running, wanting to make money, uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> so. so first step for me was, because um, I think people listening are probably like, well, how would I even like get the word out on any of this kind of stuff? I run um, a neighborhood Facebook group and that's where I post all of our events and our community stuff. What are you doing to get the word out to your community and your farm that these events are ongoing and how do you go about um, doing that for your neighborhood? So with the last 12 months, you know, everything's been a little bit crazier than usual, where I think we are all a little bit more focused on how can we make community more community. And one of the things that I started right early on in the beginning is my neighborhood garage sale. Now, my neighborhood garage sale is something that I have available as a training opportunity for some of our coaching students because it's an entire blueprint that has generated six figures in income just from a garage sale. There's an entire like principle behind it that um, you show up for them and they start seeing what you do in terms of marketing, how you handle yourself, how you communicate. And those seller leads are actually pouring in. I think my last garage sale um, I had 12 solid CMA requests out of that one. And over the weekend, I mean, that's just the seller lead. I took in 300 additional leads just from lead generation efforts. So when I have a garage sale, it's not a garage sale. It's a, it's a massive lead generating um, event because those are local people to the area. The garage sale is hyper locally advertised. And I want to make sure I like get as many people as possible um, that I can get in front of and then eventually do business with. So that is one of the largest events um, that I host. And it is currently becoming known as the largest one in the Northwest suburbs. So we're going to work on a couple of like things on publication there because it's really, really exciting to see that growing. And just like farming, it's like that little seed that you started. And I started with 10 people my very first year that said, yes, I want to be part of a community garage sale. And I'm like, okay, 10 people. I'm like, that's something, right? I'm like, I can, I can work with that. And then from there, it just grew. The next year, I want to say I had um, almost 50 people sign up because I just showed up for a second year. And then year three, four, and five, or four, five, and six, I think we had 100 homes participate consistently. So obviously my goal is always to beat the number, drive it up higher, have more people participate. And it turned into one of those events where people come out, they meet their neighbors, you know, they meet their new neighbors, they meet neighbors that they haven't seen in a while. Um, 
especially right now when kids were, you know, doing the virtual learning, they just love to catch up with each other at a lemonade stand in the, in the neighborhood. And it's great to have all of that. We have local um, Facebook groups for our community. I'm not the admin of it. However, I have built strong ties with the admins to simply say, hey, I'm not looking to advertise because we have a very strict policy when it comes to, you know, don't blatantly push your business. It is really more built on helpful tips for neighbors. Um, so I do have a little bit of leeway for that garage sale event because it has gotten so big where they say, yes, we will allow you to you know, post a little bit. However, I have to cut back on the, hey, I'm your local real estate agent, which is totally fine. People don't need to hear that consistently because all they need is seeing my name, seeing my face, and they understand that this event is sponsored by a local real estate agent. And again, the amount of business coming from it is just massive. So event management is probably one of those skills that, again, works really well with moms. We know how to, you know, organize things. We know how to structure things. We are like scheduling like maniacs and we just handle ourselves in that realm. So it transferred so, so well. Um, so that was one of them. A couple of other ones real quick that we've done is a picture opportunity. Again, that's just you know, trying to create memories um, for people while everything is kind of like, like life kind of stopped. I mean, you know, pictures with Santa weren't there. And so we did like a Halloween backdrop. We just did a bunny event where my son wanted to be the bunny so, so badly. It's just, he's not quite tall enough yet. So we had my husband actually be the bunny and he was a little sad, but um, he ended up doing the game table. And it was just a very informal neighborhood only kind of event. Um, this one was mainly marketed in the Facebook groups, again, with admin permission, just saying, hey, this is for local people. I'm not looking to get a thousand people to the event. I want to make sure that the neighborhood gets the most out of it. Um, we had over 150 kids come by and take pictures with the Easter Bunny for it being the very first event that we've had. It was phenomenal to just see so many and the weather was great so we got a little lucky there um we've done that one i've done like the encouragement signs right in the beginning of 2020 when everybody was just like oh my gosh what's happening um i've ordered you know signs on on etsy i think and put like you know spread kindness messages um in my front yard people love that one um we've done a food drive where we've done um collected ten dollars for a sign and it was just support our first responder sign people can put in the yard and yes it had my name on the bottom so we ended up you know selling over a hundred of those signs and people loved getting behind a cause so that's really the one big thing is we always try to support something else that our neighbors can get behind and say yes I want to get behind this I want to be part of it I want to contribute to something because many of them do they just don't have you know that that big voice so and I always saw my business as like a pedestal I always wanted to use it as a pedestal to just do better so I live in well I should say I live outside the city limits I live out in a spread out area and I've always wanted to farm what is your advice or maybe even ideas for someone like me who my neighbor is an acre or two away like does that farming work on what you're doing or is this strictly just for 
you know, suburbs. Condensed areas, yeah. It is definitely easier on a more condensed area. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I have conversations with agents and they're, you know, they got massive amounts of land and you don't necessarily have this neighborhood, neighborhood feel. Um, When it comes to geographic farming, I do suggest to start out to make sure it's a, a profitable farm, meaning that you have enough houses in that area. You have the turnover rate. You need to know your numbers. It's kind of like if there's no demand in selling, there's not going to be any sales. So at the end of the day, I love doing what I do, but it's also not a charity. I'm running a business and somebody needs to be very, very clear. Why are they doing it? I talk to agents um, that have farms that are smaller than I would suggest. Um, 100 homes, for example. And it's like a small association and they're like, oh, well, but I live here. It's a hundred homes and it's still possible to do all the things and become known. It's just your numbers are going to be higher. And as long as you're okay with your cost being higher for the fact that it is your farm, you're good with it. But it's like, you know, there's no universal answer to it. Um, One of the things that I do suggest is always to look up like mailing routes and see how many homes are actually on that mailing route. Because yes, you maybe have a bigger radius that you're covering, but you can maybe find a communal space and still get those people together. I mean, people like land. I mean, my, my husband is always talking about moving to the country and I'm like, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to move to the country quite yet. I like to vacation there. I like to go into the woods and go hiking and do all of that fun stuff. I don't want to quite live there yet. But it's one of those things where, you know, you just have to really look at your numbers first and if you can still bring those people together because people still want community Kristen, on an I acre like, on two acres i feel okay. like if anyone on the planet should farm it should definitely be you like i don't feel like pueblo west is that like there's space between the houses but i don't feel like it's like acres acres and i mean you're a like a pueblo west native like i 100 percent think you should be farming yeah, I mean, an acre, an acre is generally not a bad lot size to, to still get enough, you know, in there. So how are you moving the, like from the garage sale to 12 or whatever you said CMAs? So like you're, you're doing the event, people are coming to the event. How are you getting this message of want to buy or sell across and turning those events into like real leads? So the garage sale itself is one of the, you know, signature um, events. And I talk inside the Hyper Local Real Estate Agent a lot about, you know, neighborhood marketing strategies. And um, we actually ended up building an entire vault out for neighborhood marketing strategy trainings. That is just have like a training library of any sort of event you can do because the focus is always do the event for what reason? And the reason is always lead generation. The, the focus is always, how can I add lead generation into it? Um, I said, at the end of the day, doing something for fun is great, but you know, as a business, you look and see that it is something that is pushing you forward. If it doesn't align with my goals for my, my business, I tend to not do it. Um, so it always needs to have this focus in mind. So when I do events, I always look at possibilities. Where can I at lead generation possibilities. And this is probably where I go against the grain of most coaches because um, Buffini, for example, is a big believer in giving everything away for free. Free value items, take it, here's value, here's value, here's value. And at the end of the day, you just hope that somebody found enough value to come back to you. And um, 
I just don't think this is something that I want to continue on. So when I take my approach, it's a lot more of, yes, you want something. I want something in return. It's a very nice exchange that is happening. And it's a low entry or like a low barrier for that exchange. You want a free CMA. I want your email. I will email you your free CMA, but I need your email. So it's just a matter of like, how can I give them something that they really want? And it needs to be valuable enough for them to exchange that email um, to them. And it might be going into there, you know, we all have that junky email we use to sign up for things. I got one of those. Um, however, I still look at it every now and then, and I still start seeing things. So when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to just that email collecting, I'm a big believer and you need to build a list. That list is your, your holy grail to everything. I mean, no matter what social platform is next, one of the things that we will always require to do is authenticate our account. And how do we do that? Most often they ask us to authenticate ourselves via email. So finding people online um, is really, it's gotten so, so, so easy. And what you need to start with is building that email list. So how do you, like, if you're like the biggest garage sale in Chicago land, how do you like get the message out to people that you're giving away free CMAs? So uh, one of the things that you can add in, um, I do have a seller package. So in that seller package, it has a flyer in there that it goes over everything that they can claim one. Um, the garage sale maps, I print at the moment over 1500 garage sale maps for that event. It has a way in there for them to simply claim a CMA. Um, and just by having it, I mean, any email communication that I send out to my sellers is having it on the bottom. Like if you do not have a get your free CMA on the email signature, this is probably the first thing you should do once you get off this podcast and implement. You will send so many emails as an agent. You need to have something where people can say, oh, I want to do that. And it's something where I really think it needs to be automated because people want that instant result. I talk to a lot of agents and they're still sending out manual CMAs. And this is where I think a lot of times people struggle getting the leads because we want to do our job the best way possible. And it's like, well, I can't send them that. The value is not going to be accurate. And, you know, there's all those little like voices in our head stopping us from doing it. However, every CMA I send, I follow it up with like, hey, just so you know, this CMA was automated. Um, I just wanted to make sure that you understand that every home received custom upgrades over the years and your home value might not be reflected appropriately. And this opens up the door for conversation. And we need the conversation because without that conversation, I don't know what their house is like, but they need to take the first step and allowing me, like it's kind of the raised hand. Once they raise their hand of like, hey, I'm kind of wondering, they go into you know my system where I can then just say, okay, now you've raised your hand, you've done the first thing. Now it's up to me to follow up with you and see if we can have a conversation. I love that. Um, what what would you tell somebody that maybe doesn't live um, or own their house um, or live in a place where they can have their own farm within their own neighborhood? Um, can they farm a neighborhood that's not theirs? Can they start a neighborhood page that's not their current neighborhood? Um, you know, what are some things that those kind of folks could be doing? Or if they're in, the, if they're in a neighborhood that maybe only has like 20 houses and it's not sustainable, um, what should they do? 
right? So that comes back to, right, know your numbers. Not everybody that lives in a farm is going to be farming that farm because maybe your numbers just don't work out. So you need to determine what's, what's my income goal. And then you find your profitable farm. It always goes back to what's your profitable farm. And when you don't know, so when I came here, um, I knew no other neighborhood. No, I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to school here. Um, had no SOI. So for me, it worked out that my neighborhood I live in is kind of the neighborhood I also got to know. Um, however, in the process of getting to know this one, I also learned a lot about some of the other subdivisions. So it's really a matter of educate yourself, like make that extra effort to learn about the subdivisions. And there's so many out there, you know, it's like pick one and then just learn about the models, learn about it and talk about it in the process. It's content that is created as you research things. So, and you can then take that and you can always like repurpose it. So for example, one of the things we've done in my subdivision, while I was learning a lot about the, the models, um, I put an entire series together that talked about the subdivision or the, the models in a certain subdivision. Now, this in itself ended up becoming a lead magnet of like, hey, are you looking to move to this uh, neighborhood? I have all the floor plans simply, and that's again, a value exchange, simply opt in here and I'll email it to you. And they get a series email that just talks all about the, the different models. It has the floor plans on it. Um, again, the videos were created a while back prior to, you know, before I knew what good sound was, before I kind of had an idea that maybe a ring light would probably help your complexion. <laughs> so I probably should redo them at some point, but they, the value is there in the content. It's not about, you know, how pretty does it look? Um, so if you don't know a neighborhood, but you really see the numbers are working out, and we see that right now with my second farm, it's a matter of education. Go out there, find the information, find out about the models, find out about when it was built, find out about the average price points, um, find out about the community amenities. Find out about, you know, what makes this so special for people. Talk to residents, take a walk in the neighborhood and just say, hey, whoop, you know, I've been eyeing this neighborhood for a little while. Um, have you lived here for a while? Strike up a conversation with somebody. Um, I just had a listing appointment with one of my um, neighbors over here. He's been in the neighborhood for 42 years. It turned into like a lot more of like story time than a listing appointment because the value that is just held by people that lived in that area. For, and they want to talk. They want to tell you all about it. So by all means, make it an interview, just like this one, you know, bring them on and say, hey, can I just interview you um, over the phone? You know, I'm, most people are video shy, but can I just uh, interview you? And we can talk a little bit about the changes you've seen in the subdivision. This is a really cool piece. And I think a lot of people would, you know, find it interesting, especially if they either live there or if they want to move. Angela, I think it's a really good question though. Cause like, I've been candid about this before. Like I used to farm heavily. I will never, I will never farm my own neighborhood like ever. And I do think there are other people that feel like that, but I'm like, I feel like I'm on show all day long for my job. And I am very private in my own life. I don't like living near people. I definitely don't want a listing across the street where they can walk across the street and ask me questions about it. Sometimes I'm working really hard and my trash cans are outside an extra day longer. I don't want them talking crap about me as the neighborhood realtor. You know, so I have been successful in farming other neighborhoods, but I do think it's a good question because I do think there are people that are like, well, what if I don't want to work in my own neighborhood? 
Well, you could always, you know, pick a different one. One of the things that I generally suggest with people is like, who do you think has the best interest of your neighbors at heart? And um, that's kind of one of the things that, you know, if they want to do it, but they're kind of just timid about it. Um, that's one of the questions I ask. Because they're like, well, would you be okay if they end up with a, you know, commission breathing dragon of an agent that is just wanting the sale and driving your house prices down in the process because he's just underpricing it. Um, so that's one of the things that I always just ask, because as long as the community would be profitable, why not? I'm a very private person when it comes to things. I'd rather be sitting in my yard with a book than talking to people half the time. And people wouldn't think that because they're like, oh, you're always out there. You're always doing things. I'm like, yes, but that's my real estate phase. I'm, you know, like when I come down, when I come home, I just a lot of like book reading and um, just really like the peace and quiet. I mean, I'm a mom of a toddler and an eight-year-old at home e-learning. So I like a little bit of like private um, time. It's, it's just like, I totally relate to that. I was going to say too, that farming doesn't just have to be geographical. It can be anything, you know, you can farm a business, you know, if you want to get into, you know, the big FedEx uh, up the street that just was put in, like, you can use that business as a farm and the people that work there as a farm, your local teachers as a farm, schools, like all of that stuff, those are different farms, it's not just geographical. So as long as you are focused on it, you can really use anything in that way. Like my farm is different parts of the military, like I farm um, the firefighters on Peterson Air Force Base, those are my people, right? Um, so that's a hyper farm, but it's not, um, you know, residential housing neighborhood. So you can do that and it doesn't have to be um, just, just houses or just neighborhoods. So just know that. That is a really good idea. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. You just blew my mind. Well, it's all a matter of your messaging. I mean, your messaging is really what, you know, what comes to it. And one of the things when, I mean, geographic farming, um, you have the, there's two other subcategories when it comes to farming. One is being based on, you know, your, um, your characteristics. So, you know, age kind of category, and then you can also go by occupation. So if you look at farming in different categories all you want to make sure is that your messaging aligns so if you're going with the military you want to talk like I mean they have different language than you know your typical investor clients I always have the example generally of like if you're looking to farm you know who you're talking to do you talk to an investor you're probably not going to talk to the investor based on emotions of how many fun memories it's going to create in this house and you're not going to talk to the newlywed about you know the great ROI and cap rate that they're going to get when they purchase the house. So it's really important to just be clear on, on your messaging. So when it comes to, you know, mailers, and I use mailers heavily, for example, um, and I just had a segment last, um, last night, so Monday night, we do trainings inside the hyperlocal real estate agent. And last night was about the three most common mistakes that people make with geographic farming. Um, it started off with inconsistency. Number two was poor messaging. And number three was the, um, the numbers. If the numbers don't line up, you know, it's really hard to break into a farm. But poor messaging is the most overlooked one. Most agents just want to talk about themselves. Look at my awards. Look at what, how, how many units I closed. Look at this. Look at that. And the consumer doesn't care. They don't want to hear about our achievements that we like as agents from an industry perspective. They want to make sure that they understand how has that helped another seller get exactly what they are also looking to get. So 
tip one is build community and be relatable. And then this would be tip two, then our messaging that we're articulating out to whatever farm you choose, right? That works. So in, what did you say again? I'm sorry, Janine, you said inconsistency numbers and I missed the second one in there. It's inconsistency, poor messaging, and poor. Um, it's not a profitable farm. Thank so you. those are the three most common mistakes we generally see um, where we tweak it a little bit and people see actually a better return. And when I talk about a return, um, I went back and tracked my return. So I use mailers quite a bit. Um, my mailers are a dollar in about $10 out. So if I, you know, look and see how many mailers I send, um, I want to say about last year, it might have been for $15,000. Yet I got out of that mailer about 150000 in commission post broker split so that in itself if i ask you do you want to give me a dollar i'll give you 10 back you'll probably want to give me as many dollars as you have and most people just kind of stop because they don't see this return because one of those things is off they're messaging they're inconsistent or they don't have a profitable farm but once you line it up it really becomes a plug and play system you just need to make sure your pieces are right um, how soon after you started to farm, did you see a return? So the first farm, um, I learned a lot in the process. I'm not going to lie. I did not major in anything like this. It was a, you know, slow going kind of figure out by doing, um, and in this process of the last six years, so it hasn't even been that long. Um, there's a lot of learning and a lot of growth that happened. So I always tell, you know, the people inside the hyperlocal agent, I'm not perfect. I am on a journey and you're more than welcome to join this journey. Maybe one day you're going to outgrow my journey. Um, you know, maybe you're way past my journey already. And in that case, you know, that's great. Um, maybe you're just starting out. But when I first started, um, I started with 400 homes and the 400 homes I started with, I think I had my first listing, not until like over a year later. Now, my second farm, I just started it um, this year. I'm due for my third mailing going into it. Mailing number two, I generated two CMA requests out of that one. And we're gonna follow up. Obviously it's a pipeline building business, but getting something out of those mailers already on um, you know, mailing number two is a really, really, really good number. Most people mail and they mail and they mail and they get nothing out of it. And again, it goes mostly back to poor messaging. How do you, I think the other reason that people feel like the barrier for entry to farming is really high is the cost. So do you have training and ideas for people who, <clears throat> excuse me, aren't going into this with a big budget? Yes, so I am probably the most frugal person <laughs> Like if you know me, like I seem to attract a lot of people that like to, you know, not spend a ton of money on stuff because this is kind of me and I tend to attract the people that are very similar to this. So when it comes to, you know, making sure you have the most affordable way, you can look at your um, printing costs. You can look at your, I mean, your mailing costs, there's different options out there. Um, one of the things that I suggest people look at is on EDDM um, Every Door Direct mailing course because it is um, 18 cents to mail a postcard. It does not get more affordable than that other than you walking the flyers. And that's the other thing. So one of the things I always start out of is if you have zero business, if you are not busy, you have no money because this was me, year one right here. I wanted to make sure that I spent the resource I had available, which was my time. 
So I ended up printing for my garage sale, my first garage sale, right? Zero marketing money, um, zero, you know, zero, nothing in the pipeline, but I had time. So I took my walking shoes. I took my kids. I had a hundred flyers printed and I walked them to the neighbors and I just stuck them on the door. So when it comes to, you know, I don't have any money. Um, I always feel like there's ways around it because if you don't have any money to market, you're probably in the beginning stages of your career and what you should have at that point is time. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I have a quick question for you. Um, I, I often see that when people send mailers, um, the content can be like all over the board. And sometimes I will pay attention to them and sometimes I won't. So is there something that people should be um, putting on those mailers to get an actual return? Um, like some kind of information that's gonna elicit some kind of an actual response instead of it just being thrown in the trash? Yeah, I mean, the, the mailer should not be run of the mill, which is why I tend to stay away from um, most of the mailer companies that are out there. They are very generic. They are very, you know, across the board the same. Um, and they don't seem to be very grabbing. So I was actually just driving by um, billboards yesterday going towards Chicago. And I, I love looking at billboards because the people that get to design billboards are really paid thousands of dollars to have one purpose, which is to make sure that they grab somebody's attention, go in 70 miles an hour, and they are remembered. And when somebody goes past the billboard, like, I mean, most of us are just, you know, generally driving anyhow. Um, I tend to look at them a little bit more. The only one from all of yesterday that stuck out was a um, Brazilian butt lift because it had a giant peach on it. And all it said was Brazilian butt lift and then something. And I'm not a butt lifting person. So I have zero, you know, like connection with that <laughs> per se. But that image itself, it was clean. It was clear. It was different. And I drove, I mean, I drove past Panera bread bowls. I drove past like loaves, flowers, you know, and I mean, I remember some of those because I was actively looking at them, but that one, I didn't even try. It was just different and it was just sticking out. So when it comes to, you know, what should be on there, it needs to be something that is more of a pattern interrupt. And we hear pattern interrupt, not just with mailing, we hear it on social media. I mean, all of us are in emotion. Might it be driving? Might it be, you know, grabbing the mail and going through it? And one of the reasons I actually still like the mail um, a lot is for the fact that this is a time when most of us do not have our phone in our hand. Most of us will get the mail and we will actually like pay attention. I always say like, this is probably one of the reasons the IRS is still sending uh, only letters. There's no email communication because people will pay attention. So it's just one of those, um, you know, you look through it and you want to stand out on that piece. So one of the things that I have on my mailers, for example, is always like my, my avatar and it's not my, my business, you know, my business attire. It's not, it's just me as a person and a little bit more of a relaxed, relatable, um, you know, pose so people can see me over and over and over and over again. Um, what's been your favorite mailer you've done so far? So, I mean, I personally love my garage sale mailers because it just generates a ton of good results, obviously from that yeah. perspective. So what um, do you put on there though? Like, is there like a QR code that someone scans to get you their information? Like, what is that? Like, what is on there? I mean, the garage sale mailer just um, evolved into like a, you know, it's the same one every year now. I had my company design it first and um, 
it wasn't that great. It was very, you know, run of the mill. And uh, now it's just more of like a, um, you know, community garage sale. It has my face on there. It has our garage sale um, logo that I like pulled off the internet. Um, and then on the back, it just simply has two things. Either you're going to be a participant or you're going to be a spectator. If you're a participant, here's a sign up. And now there's a website to sign up. Um, if you're a spectator, you're going to mark your calendar and follow us on Facebook because you do not want to miss all the sales that we're going to post on it. Um, so this way, it also grows our Facebook page. And at the same time, it generates seller leads for signups. So it's a great way to kind of get that out. And then it's just um, just my information on the back if they have questions, because many of them are a little bit on the older side. So if they don't want to sign up over a website, they can still call me. Love that. All right, tip number three. All right, so we covered so far. Don't be shy to take your kids along for the ride. Um, we had the, the events in there. So I do think community events is really something that has, you know, made a big difference in this whole farming thing. And then um, the third thing for farming has to be, I mean, the mailers. I guess we kind of already tied it into it together a little bit. Um, I don't use Popeyes. I don't do any Popeyes of, of sorts. I know some people are like, oh, do you do Popeyes? That would be a lot of Popeyes. That's probably where I would end up hiring some, you know, um, neighborhood kids or something. I don't mind Popeyes. I think they have absolute value for some people. It's just um, my farm right now and my one farm is 3,500 homes. So I have not really a desire to be <laughs> putting that many out. Um, but it's this way I, I reach them with mailers um, a lot better on it. How many times a year do you send mailers? So that's the interesting thing. When I started, um, I started with only six out of 12 um, months. And I went against the norm because most people said, hey, you need to farm every single month. And I'm like, well, I didn't have the budget. So I set aside the budget for six months and I am in a snowy kind of environment for the winter months where everybody goes hibernate. So I figured, you know, I would go and mail to their mailbox that they can then take it to their house when I had less open houses going on, when I had less visibility um, inside the area, when I did not have any community events putting me on display per se. So I put my mailing strategy um, towards those colder months and then I ended up going from six mailers into eight mailers and now I'm still not at 12 mailers a year so I still do not mail consistently it is um, and it's it's based on really making sure those events are incorporated like that's the big part like once people start seeing you have an interest in the community and that's where my last two clients came from is because neighbors saw the community aspect and they ended up referring coworkers, um, friends that are outside of my farm, but they are generated based on farming efforts, which is really cool to start seeing that growth now in it. Love it. Um, what would you say was your biggest mistake in starting your farm? So the biggest mistake, and I to, do, to this date, I still think that I still struggle with it, is just simply to take action. Like we get into our own heads so much of like, oh, what are people going to think? How is it going to look? What are we going to do? And then three weeks later, we still haven't sent out anything or we still haven't done anything. And that inaction is something that to this date, I still struggle with. I still, I, I am a perfectionist by nature. So I want to make sure everything is perfect and nothing will be perfect because, you know, kids and life and everything going on. So I'm still trying to get out of my very own head for that. But that's probably the biggest 
um, thing. People just have ideas and they don't act on them. Okay, one last question, promise. <laughs> what was your, um, how many sales did you have in your farm last year? Uh, last year, I think there was 50, no, I was closer to 20, I think. I think we were at about 20. Nice. Those were all yours? Yes. See, that's amazing. That's worth it. Yeah. Um, this was amazingly helpful. And um, your Facebook group that you run is a plethora of information and everybody should go run and join your Facebook group as soon as they are done listening to this podcast. Say if somebody likes training, for sure. It's a free group. And, you know, we always make sure we answer the questions. Um, I just had some of our group members actually post their farming letters. So if I do have, you know, the time at night, I will generally go through it, screenshot it, circle it, highlight it, send it back for, for a critique. Um, and it's just really trying to help other agents growing their business on their terms, not on a nine to five or prospect from nine to 11. Because small kids, right? I feel like that's like, a. am just going to say, I feel like that's a man thing. Like we all grew up with this in real estate. Like, like truly I'm not, I, I feel like it'd be hard pressed to find a woman who does that lock yourself in your bunker. Do not schedule an appointment from eight to one every day for like a long period of time. But yet there's a lot of coaches preaching exactly that. And in today's world, with today's it's lifestyle, this is because not... their wives are at home with their children and dealing with everything else so that they can block out five hours of dedicated lead generation a day. Sorry, guys, but I do feel like yeah. it's always what I say. I'm like, behind every man, there's a strong woman. Yeah, that's the truth right there. I always say, I don't need a nanny. I don't need a chef. I need a wife. wife. <laughs> I've said that for 20 years. Wife. Like yeah. I'm all for a sister wife situation. Let's go. <laughs> and then on that note, what does your husband do? He's a general contractor. Okay. And he has always been, has he always been supportive of this massive business that you've built? So he's been actually the one pushing me towards the real estate one. Um, he's questioning my hyper-local one because it does take a lot of, it's my passion project. It's kind of like where I pour into the people, you know, and he's like, why are you doing it? So he's kind of like questioning some of that because he doesn't get the online perspective of, you know, how we connect with people. And it's just a massive training platform, um, for people to connect and, and get better collectively. So, but that's, again, he, he's, you know, he works with his hand in general. And I'm like, I can tell you, I'm beyond grateful to have had him. He built me a deck this year. He's, you know, fixed stuff at the house. Cause I absolutely know nothing about this part. I'd be like YouTubing it and then probably just give up and hire somebody. So it's, um, it's been a good balance on that, but, um, it, it's interesting to see somebody's mindset that is just a little bit different from, you know, what I'm trying to build online. Yeah, but I think that's like supposed to be the progression, right? You learn, you do, you give it back away through teaching, coaching, and training. So yeah. good on and you. And he starts seeing that. So, I mean, he's he is supportive when it comes to it. So hence, like, he's taking care of the kids right now because otherwise it'd be already in my room. Mom, where's lunch? And I said, can you just give me an extra 30 minutes because nap time is around the corner and I, I like to be there for nap time. I like to, you know, hold my two-year-old a little bit longer to put him down for a nap and, um, you know, be kicked and yelled at because nap time is not fun anymore when you're two and you have other things to do. But it's like the sweet two minutes that I get from snuggles that I'll take any time of day. 
You're really doing it all. It's incredible. Mom, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Good. <laughs> well, we know that everyone's going to get value. And um, like I said, everyone needs to go join your Facebook group. We appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Yes. And if you are, I mean, if your audience wants a fun freebie, um, I'll send you the link to the geographic farming cheat sheet on how to build a profitable farm. They have all the steps in it. Um, they can they can download it. They can use it. It's literally like the Bible when it comes to geographic farming, because first thing we learned is make sure your numbers are right. Right. Mm -hmm. We would love to share that. That would be amazing. Cool. Thank you so awesome. much. We'll talk Thanks, to ladies. you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Angela, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all realtors and would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the Homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.